Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 379. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 379 you're listening to. My guest today is broadcast recording tech and mastering engineer Margaret Luther, who is now based in Los Angeles after a fresh move from Nashville, Tennessee. We're going to talk all about that and about her new gig at NPR. Very much looking forward to having her on. Margaret Luther coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Allow me to ask you to tolerate yet another Dolby Atmos update. As of today, I'm recording this on a Saturday, this part of the show, this rant. My speaker mounts are going to arrive today via UPS from Southern California. I have a, a, a mention about that in a minute, but that is the last piece of the puzzle of all the stuff I had to buy to get this in place. And other than that, everything is here. All the PMC speakers, I ended up getting a different sub uh, or a sub from a different company. I ended up getting a Cali Audio WS12 sub. I love PMC, they make killer speakers, but I just couldn't justify spending the money for one of their subs. The other speakers, it was great, it's fine. I thought that, was, that worked for me, but the subs uh, was just a little too big and a little too expensive for what I wanted. So for under $700, I got a Cali Audio sub and it meets all the Dolby spec. Uh, former WCA guest Brendan Duffy recommended it, and I just jumped at it and did it. I considered getting two subs. I considered getting like two smaller KRK subs, but I just wanted something simple. And so I just said, just give me that. That's all I, all I really want to get. I had to buy a bunch of extra stuff that I didn't anticipate buying. You know, of course, I, I knew I was going to have to buy it, but I just, in my brain, I was thinking monitor controller from Grace, speakers from PMC and Cali my brain kind of stopped at that but you know i knew from experience honestly that i was going to have to buy some extra stuff so speaker cable for all the passive speakers uh banana connectors for for those to connect to those speakers d sub connectors the funny thing is is i actually got rid of a bunch of d sub connectors a couple years ago and only kept a small amount of cables so i had to go source some new d subs had to buy some new ones Former WCA guest John Cunaberti was kind enough to give me one of his that he didn't need anymore and just in trade for lunch. And I thought that was a good deal to sit and chat with John and then get a D-sub connector out of the deal. I got all that and then I was going to look for another cable and I went to a small box that I had and what did I find in there? I found one of the D-sub connectors that I would have needed. I just, I, I, had to, I had to laugh and I had to just shake my head and go, ah, oh, you gotta get more organized with this stuff because I could have saved a little money there. Anyways, it's all going to get hooked up and I'm going to take an, uh, about two days this next week, tear everything up, install it, do a preliminary setup with the speakers in terms of not just the placement of the speakers. The, well, the placement I'm going to do is going to be the permanent placement, but preliminary time delay settings for the speakers, preliminary shooting of the speakers, just to get an understanding of how the room is operating with all these speakers in it. And then uh, Dolby at some point will come over and shoot the room and really tidy it up with the uh, the EQ settings on the speakers because there's a Dolby Atmos curve that they have to put in. Then that's it. Then I got to get to work. I've got some clients that are asking me like, when do we begin? We should jump on this. We should We should make some mixes and see what happens. And then I've got some stuff of my own that I'm going to work on this uh, Domes of Energy project that I'm a part of, which is uh, the Devo Tribute project. That's out. I'll include a link in the show notes. You can hear the stereo mix of some of the tracks we did. Anyhow, that's the state of affairs. So it's all going to get set up in this next week. So I hope the next time I actually give you an update, it's going to be, hey, it's working. It's up and running. The final thing, what I was going to say about the uh, speaker mounts. So I connected with Anthony over at Sweetwater, who's been awesome to get a lot of the remaining pieces together. And we were trying to get these speaker mounts from K&M. K&M make great speaker mounts. Uh, they're really well made. 
but there's two parts. There's a mount and then there's a plate that attaches to the speaker, which attaches to the mount. These plates were in short supply everywhere. And I don't know if that's because maybe they sourced the, uh, the steel for those in China or, or maybe some other part of the world, but supply chain issues were holding these plates up. And I was being told like, well, it's probably gonna be seven to eight weeks, maybe longer. And I just couldn't deal with that. I just said, you know what? I've waited long enough. I gotta get up and running. And I had been told about a company in Southern California that makes incredible speaker mounts that fit perfectly on my speakers, made of aluminum and really flexible. And they'll help you get your speakers up on your wall or your ceiling really quick. The problem was, is that they were absolutely crazy expensive. Cause I think that what they're used to doing is selling to some big companies, you know, like the Netflixes and you know, the Capitol records. So as an individual, I just about had a, a heart attack looking at the price of these things. But I thought, well, what do I do? Do I wait two months and not be up and running? Or do I bite the bullet, spend crazy money? And I'm serious, crazy money on these speaker mounts, get up and running and get the income rolling in. And I chose for buying the speaker mounts. And I'm just, I'm gonna tell you that the speaker mounts are well-made, they're well done. And for someone like me who, you know, takes pride in, you know, products that are made in the United States and says, you know, okay, I I'd like to buy from companies that are actually making products here. I thought, okay, fine, I'll do it. But after I sent them the money, I was a little remorseful. I, I just sat back and I thought, what have I done? Did I just spend like stupid money on something that I could have either waited and been more patient over? And I had to really just rationalize. I had to really think it through and think, okay, the money you've spent on this will be recouped at a later date. But it's funny, I've spent money on all this other stuff and I've never had that feeling until I got to this. There's just some things out there that are unsexy to buy and uh, I don't want to trash these folks because I think they're probably really good folks. They were nice to talk to, but I was a little bummed that they couldn't accommodate an individual, that they had to, uh, that they had to sell me something based on a price meant to be sold to a ginormous company who you know doesn't even flinch at that kind of a thing. So um, I would recommend being patient, honestly, in the future. I should have known that there was going to be some supply chain issues and I would have bought the K&M stuff long ago and then I wouldn't have run into this. But I but I wasn't really thinking it all through. So that's the price I pay. In the end I will get an excellent product. That there's no doubt about that. I'm not going to I'm not going to say that it's a crap product. It's going to be an excellent product and it's going to get the job done. Yes, it's going to cost some money, but you know, that's just the price of doing business. And sometimes you have to make those those sacrifices, I guess. And hopefully, uh, you know, I will uh, recoup that, as I said, with more work here in the future doing Atmos mixes, which I predict is going to be a large number of mixes. So, so that's where I'm at. Next time I give you an update, uh, everything should be in. And I assume that Dolby will have already come by and shot the room and set up the settings in my Grace controller that should be uh, in place for this size room for these speakers, et cetera, et cetera. Give you an update then. And then maybe I'll even, maybe I'll create a video tour or something and I'll put it on YouTube. I don't know, I'll put it somewhere and you all can check it out. But that's it. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Let's get to it. Margaret Luther here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Margaret, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. So you are talking to us from Los Angeles, correct? That is correct. Your new home. Yes. As of about a week and a half ago, wow. I guess, is when I moved wow. here. Um, okay. It's been kind of a crazy couple of weeks. <laughs> and uh, you did the opposite of what most people are doing these days. You came from Nashville to Los Angeles rather than vice versa. Could you talk about that? Yeah. So I may, I've been making the joke that I should be getting paid because I left Nashville because so many Californians are moving there that I should get like an exit pay or something. I should be like giving severance. money. Yeah, severance pay. So towards the end of last year, I kind of had this realization that I wanted to do something different. And and unfortunately, I moved to Nashville right before COVID. It was the fall of 2019. I moved there from Chicago. And 
it was just a very unfortunate time, I think, to move. I was very busy the first couple months that I moved to Nashville, and then I got really sick in February, which now in hindsight, it could have been COVID, but I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. And then basically COVID happened, and so everything was shut down. And I think it's not the reason that I was unhappy there, but it really affected me. It was a really negative sort of experience being there during that time. And I think if I had maybe had had a year or two of being kind of normal, mm -hmm. I would have felt better being there. So I don't I don't know. I, I I really enjoyed my job. I enjoyed the work that I did. I enjoyed cutting records and everything. But towards the end of last year, I started to realize I maybe wanted something a bit different for myself. Mm -hmm. So that's why I started looking elsewhere for work. And I was like, I can't go back north again because I've experienced not being cold in the winter. So <laughs> I can there's only so many options that I can do. And, and I don't mind seasons. I don't mind snow and all that stuff. But I kind of liked the idea of maybe not being in a cold climate. And so I was thinking about what options do I have? And, and I put feelers out and this is where I ended up. And your new job is for NPR. Is that correct? That's correct. As of last Monday, so I'm still pretty new. I'm still training. It's a broadcast recording technician mm -hmm. job. So basically we are support staff and kind of IT support for the podcasts, the new show. We'll set up phone interviews, remote phone interviews, and record them on our end for the producers to edit on their side of things. So this host needs to set up a phone call with this host and we kind of are the mediators. Hmm. We also take care of stuff that happens in the studio. Although right now because of COVID, that's, I don't think it's happening quite as much as it was. Although California is starting to open up. So I think at the end of this month, beginning of next month, people are going to be starting to come back to the office, which I'm excited about because there's a lot of empty desks and I really would like to see people there <laughs> to feel like I'm a part of like a news thing or something. So It'll be good when they come back. Let's come back to that because I want to I want to ask you some questions about that. But I, we have to set the audience up a little bit. So you came from Nashville to do this job, and I'm going to just chronologically move yeah. our way backward. You were working at Welcome to 1979. Yes. So I was working at 1979. I started there in September of 2019. I guess it was the beginning of September 2019. And that's where I was until I left two weeks ago. And you were mastering and cutting records, is that right? That's correct. And I was doing that before I went to 1979 also, but that's all I did in 79. So it was a lot of that. <laughs> and prior to that, you came from, did you say Chicago? Yes. I was working at Chicago Mastering Service, and that's Bob Weston and Jason Ward, oh, uh, Matthew wow. Barnhart, Greg Obis. They all work there. So that's where I learned to cut. I was a mastering engineer before that, but I had gotten that opportunity and I was like, this would be kind of a cool skill to learn. And I had a lot of respect for that studio. And I learned a lot there. And it, that whole place was a, a great stepping stone for me in my lacquer cutting world, I guess you could say. How long were you at that facility? About two years. Mm -hmm. I started there at the beginning of 2017, although I went for training in fall of 2016. And I was there the day the Cubs won the series, <laughs> which was a really big deal. And then so Last weekend when the Rams, or I guess, was that last weekend? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or two weekends ago, the Super Bowl, I was like, okay, it's a good omen. I just moved here. Like, the Rams better win the Super Bowl. That means it's supposed to be here. So I was very happy when they won. Ah. So yeah, so I, I was in Chicago from 2017, January, to September of 2019. Tell me about what you learned from there. What's the big takeaway for you, whether it's business things, audio things? What can you tell us about your experience there? Well, I think not just in Chicago, born in Nashville, but I've worked in a lot of different studios with a lot of different backgrounds and ways of working or aesthetics or whatever you'd want to call it. And I think from every place I've worked, I've learned what works and what doesn't work. Mm. Not even necessarily what works or doesn't work for the company, but works for me. So I think what I've gotten from all of these places is like, if I ever open up my own shop mm -hmm. or if I ever want to be my own boss with it, there are things I can take from each place I've worked and things I can avoid from each place I've worked and figure out what works the best for me. And some of those are business things. Some of those are client-related things, just all sorts of stuff. But I think working in a lot of different places has helped me figure out what I find to be beneficial and what I don't want to have to deal with anymore. Do you mind elaborating a little bit? Specifically, like, what are the things on the client side that works for you? 
I would say that it's not, <laughs> it makes it sound like I'm like <laughs> dissing clients and I'm not. Uh, it's more that I, I've worked with a lot of different client software programs, like client management software programs, and I've learned certain things work better and certain things don't. I've used Trello in certain business situations, and yeah. I've found that that's great for, in my own, again, this is just my own workflow, storyboarding ideas or making lists and things, but I think for client intake, it's not my favorite thing to use hmm. or client management sort of things. So I think from a client side, it, it's more managing expectations and also working with projects that I know I can handle and work with them in a way using software that works with my brain and certain things work better than others. And I'm on, I'm on some mastering forums and some Slack channels and stuff. And I've talked to other mastering engineers about like, what do you guys use for software and this, that, and the other. So as I craft a, a freelance business for myself, I can explore some of these options that might work better for me with regards to keeping things organized because I'm not that smart. So I need yeah. something that works well to help me be smart. <laughs> with specifically, you're talking about CRM yes. software. Yeah, yeah, client research, the management side of things. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I, I don't know if that many audio professionals know about. I know a lot of people do, but a lot of people don't. And what would you say to somebody who has no experience with that? What is the value that that brings to an audio professional? I think it's it's good to have something that reflects the size of your business and also of where you want your business to go. Mm. Because if you have if you have a lot of clients or a lot of high turnover and the software that you're using or the, the workflow you're using doesn't make that efficient, things are going to start to drop. It's going to take up too much time or you're going to miss something. So for me right now, maybe because I'm mostly doing freelance now that I'm not working for a, a studio, it's not quite as important that I pick a software at this exact time that I feel works the best for me. Mm -hmm. But down the line, this is one of those things where on those Slack channels when I've asked people about what software they've been using, the next couple weeks and months, I can start to audition some of these programs without having to integrate them into a fully, you know, like I don't have a, a thousand clients right now that are lined up waiting for me to do stuff. So I can really prepare and yeah. have a good base moving forward. So I think, I think just being prepared, having software that helps you do the best that you can do, or at least knowing what you want to do because I think if you know where you want your business to go, mm -hmm. then you can start looking for not just software, but studio equipment or gear or whatever else that will help you do what you want to do. And like right now, my workload is obviously not the same as it was at 1979, mm -hmm. but at some point it will get busier. And so I need to be prepared for that. I think it's very telling that when I asked you about certain things, you immediately went to the thing that talks about managing the client's. And most people would go and say, oh, well, you know, this particular DAW or mastering software, that's very interesting and shows where your focus is with regards to the clients. Prior to working over there with Bob Weston and, and crew, where did you come from before you were there? <laughs> a lot of different places, I guess. It's kind of a long story, so I'll try to make it short. After I got my master's degree at at NYU, I ended up freelancing and working for an artist management company for a while. And in, I guess it was 2009, thanks to talking to Jim Anderson and some other mentors of mine, I went to Banff at the beginning of the year. Oh, and wow. I was there for a couple months. And there, I kind of started to explore options about possibly maybe not staying in the United States for a little bit of time. So I went to Banff. I did that. I went to Aspen in that summer to record the music festival, which I also did in 2010 and 2016. It's so much fun. I love recording music festivals and I particularly liked going to Aspen because it's Aspen. <laughs> but anyway, so then in the summer of 2009, I actually moved to Norway and I was there for a year as a student at the University of Stavanger on the west coast of Norway. Lots of rain and it's gray a lot. <laughs> so I was there for a year as a, a student and then I ended up going back because the economy here wasn't really all that great yet. We were still kind of in the midst of the recession and getting out of things. And it was something where I knew that if I waited five more years, I wouldn't have the opportunity to really just mess around and figure out what I wanted to do and travel around. Mm. So I was like, this is my only real opportunity to do that. So I went to Norway and I freelanced at some studios. I worked at the Norwegian Institute of Recorded Sound. I did some film projects, like little production sound things. And I tried to like 
make a life there for myself. I didn't plan on staying there the rest of my life, but mm-hmm. I, I wanted to live there. I didn't just want to be a student. Yeah. And speaking of taxes, once you have to pay taxes in another country, that's when you've arrived, in my opinion. <laughs> once you have to like read a tax return, and now granted, taxes in Norway are much easier than the United States, but this isn't a political podcast, so I'm not going to get into that. So I did all that stuff. And then I reached a point where professionally and personally, I just was like, I need a change. Mm. I also just wanted to go back because my parents are getting older and I want to be back in the U.S. for them. So in February of 2016, I moved back to the United States and I had been gone for almost six years at that time. So I had a large connection of people here in the States, but I didn't have a job really set up or anything. So I ended up going back to Aspen that summer. And in Aspen is when I met a production tech who basically introduced me to Bob and everyone in Chicago. And so I was like, oh. let's see what happens. So um, I went and I visited and I it ended up being a job interview. I don't think it necessarily was a formal interview, but they were looking to hire someone and I was there. Hmm. So they offered me the position. And I also had a job offer at Arizona Public Radio working there. And I had to pick between the two and I went with Chicago. And here we are. <laughs> here we are. That's interesting. So can you tell the audience... And actually tell me as well, because Mm -hmm. I truly don't know. Tell me about Banff. I know people that have gone there. I have a general sense of what's the story there. But how does one just, do you just decide to go and you go? Or do you have to be accepted? What is it? So I think the application process is still the same. Mm -hmm. They've had some administrative change. And obviously, it's been a long time since I've been there as a student. One of my good friends, James, is the current director of audio there. So it's cool that I know someone there now who's working there. But at the time, you basically have a reel and an application and you apply for like a work study position. So you're kind of a student, but you're also working for the facility and it's an arts facility and they don't just do audio and music. They also do dance, visual art. They have a ballet program, I think, at some points during the year, at least they did. One of my roommates was a welder and she made sculptures out of metal and stuff, all this sort of crazy stuff. It's a really cool environment because you're coexisting with all of these different arts disciplines in the same space. And so what we would do as work studies is people would rent out the studios for recording who weren't students. But the students that were there that were music students would also put on recitals and performances. And we would record all of these performances and they would bring in guest lecturers to talk about audio with us and all these sorts of things. So you apply, you get accepted, and then you can go. And my mentor at the time, Jim Anderson, he was the one who was like, you should do this. So I I really enjoyed it. It was a good learning experience. And you're, you're living with other audio engineers. They're working with you and you're learning from each other. Interesting. It's nice. It's a really cool program. And a lot of, a lot of people I know who come from my classical recording academic background, we've all done that at some point. It's kind of, I don't know, rite of passage, almost like you go to Banff. That's what you do. Is that the style of music that's essentially predominant there? It probably depends more on the season. Mm-hmm. When I was there, there was a lot of classical stuff happening, but I think it's a lot of what musicians happen to be there. But there were some jazz musicians there. When I was there, there were a few more experimental musicians there. They also have an indigenous First Nations program. So there were musicians there that were exploring all of that sort of stuff. So it was really neat. It was an interesting environment for creativity. So you're working, but you're also a student. So are you taking classes? Not formal classes. Like I was saying, they would get professionals to talk about audio topics with you. They'll fly someone in. And I can say that I know that they do that because in 2018, James had me come and talk about vinyl to Mm. the students that were there, which was kind of a cool thing. Because it's like I was here once, except for the fact that immigration didn't believe that I was going to Banff and they confiscated my passport at the border. And then I was held in the airport for a couple hours while they thought it was. That's that's fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then and they so they took my passport. They wouldn't let me leave the airport, but they like had to like do some research on me or something. So they then brought me back into the area with the the immigration stuff. And the, the lady had me walk behind all of these these detention cells, you know, where they put like drug traffickers and stuff. And I was like, are you going to lock me up in here in Canada? This is like the weirdest in Canada. What are you guys doing to me? And so, so it was this whole big thing. She didn't believe me. And then her shift ended 
And the guy that took over for her was like, I don't know why they made such a big deal about you being here illegally when you're already in the system. You've been to Banff before. We see your visa. They should have just let you in. And so he's like, I see your birthdays in a couple days. I'll extend your visa till after your birthday in case you want to stay here for it. And I was like, thanks, but I don't I don't really want to right now. But thank you. Yeah, I'm a little pissed so, at Canada yeah, right now. So Yeah, I'm kind of like, why did you hold me in this airport for like five hours? Wow. Yes, that was fun. But besides that, Banff is great. And I had a really great time teaching students there. And I've also had a great time there as a student or a work study myself. Would it be unusual for somebody with experience who's older to go to Banff? Is it expected that you are inexperienced and younger? I think it's just one of those things where when you're older, you probably don't have as much time to just go off and go somewhere for three months and get paid very little money. Mm. Most of the students that were there when I was there were about my age, so mid to late 20s. You need to have some experience, but I don't know anyone who's had a full career right? and then just went off and did it. Although I'm sure you could. I could see doing that. Like, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown, so I'm going to go and, like, (laughs) record flutes in the mountains for three months. Like, I mean, that sounds kind of nice. If you're going to have a breakdown, that's probably a good place to do it. Yeah, I'm going to have a midlife crisis and stop this show and go to Banff. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds great. Totally kidding, audience. (laughs) Just kidding. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Hellertown, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. which is about an hour and a half north of Philadelphia, hour and a half west of New York City. It's funny because I used to be like, I live in the middle of nowhere. And then after going to Norway and some of these other small places I've been, I was like, man, I lived in the regular crowded northeast. I don't know what I was thinking. So I grew up there. My dad worked for Bethlehem Steel and he was a chemical engineer. He's retired now. And My sister, she's an environmental science teacher at the Science Outreach Center, and I went to school for music. So pretty normal childhood, I guess you could say. Well, let's roll forward back to Mm -hmm. NPR now. So I think my number one question when we were initially communicating and I knew that you were going to NPR, I thought, what would drive a person to stop mastering and cutting for vinyl and move to Los Angeles and go to work for NPR? I think it was a couple things. One, the salary is very good and I have health care. So, I mean, you know, we don't want to talk about that in audio and music. You don't want to talk about money and you don't want to talk about. Oh, on this show, that's all we talk about. (laughs) Okay. I I just, I always feel weird bringing it up, but like healthcare is really great. I get a really great salary. I'm not demeaning any other place I've worked, but those things are really important to me now. So, those are some reasons. I also, it's not that it's selfish, mm-hmm. but I feel like sometimes working in a studio, you're stuck in this bubble where you're not really as much a part of the outside world. 
and you're not necessarily interacting with what's going on in the rest of the world. And I've had this thought for, I don't know, a really long time, I guess since I was in college and figuring out what I wanted to major in, where I like the idea of working with music and creativity and people who are creative and on their projects and all those sorts of things. But there's also a world out there of other lives and humanity that I think is easy to kind of ignore if you're working in a studio environment. And again, it's not a criticism. It's just you're part of just this creative bubble of people making music and everything. And what I like about working for something like NPR is that my technical skills and my creativity are going to help educate and inform Mm -hmm. people in a way that is very direct and very in-your-face obvious. Someone is going to listen to this and is going to learn something from it. And I think that's always been something in my mind that's been hard for me to grapple with. When I was in college, I also took a lot of political science classes and international relations courses. At one point, considered working for the State Department and going to law school and all this stuff. So I think this is kind of a cool way to do both. Obviously, I'm not doing the reporting or anything, but I can help edit those shows. I can help facilitate these interviews. I can help record the interviews. I can be a part of this process where I'm bringing something directly to the public that will teach and inform. And that is appealing to me. And at NPR, there's also a lot of training that I've learned that I can do. And I feel like if I wanted to explore in the future more of the production, like working on a podcast, helping develop content for podcasts, all of these things, I have the ability to do that. And so I could help bring stories that I find to be important to listeners. And so I like that sort of, it's more giving Mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. And I'm lucky enough that I have a very good network of mastering engineers and cutting engineers that I am close with who, once I get settled here... I do want to start really freelancing and doing things on the side. And what I like about it is then I can pick the projects that I work with. I can pick the artists that I want to work with. And so I can be more client focused Mm -hmm. than just working for whoever happens to come my way, which is fine too. There's nothing wrong with either way of doing things. It's just, I can be more particular. And I feel like that will be better for my creativity and for the person that I'm doing the service for. I really love your answer to that. That's pretty pretty damn cool hmm. to have that awakening to realize that you want to participate some more in, I don't mean to demean our, our peers as well, mm-hmm. but as you say, you're in a bubble when you're in a studio. You're in a creative bubble. You can shut out the world and whatever's going on in the world is is, mm-hmm. is not really going to affect you. But you want to remain informed, involved, and I think that what you said, this is probably the best of all worlds to do it. That's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. And I, I think, too, if we end up having issues with Ukraine and everything, I'm going to hear about that stuff. Depending on what show I would help facilitate interviews with, I could be a part of something that is very important that people understand or informed about and everything. And I think, too, there's nothing wrong with the studio stuff and cutting records and all of those things. It's just, I don't want to say burnout, yeah. but I'm just, I'm ready to, to shift my focus. And it's a good way to do it, I think. Well, and it's, I applaud your willingness to just make the decision and go. Some people ruminate on these ideas for years and, and never actually make the move. Seems that yeah. everything you've told me about your past, you've really made the decision to say, I want to go do this. Therefore I'm going to go do it. And This is another event in your life where you're doing that. Yeah. And the ability for you to contribute your audio skills in this environment of NPR, I think, is amazing. I'd like to ask you a few practical questions around that. So do you feel like you're going to have the bandwidth to do freelance work on the side? Right now, what I've been telling people is give me like two or three months to get sorted and then I will have more of a plan set up for myself. I won't be able to do as much. Obviously, I won't be able to be doing the workload I did at 79, but I really feel that if I want to do this while I'm working for NPR, I will have a choice. I will have the ability to do it because what I like about working, and this is my first corporate job. I've never worked in a corporate environment before. And what I really like is 
NPR seems to really care about its employees and it seems to care about the shifts that they get. So I may have to work late sometimes, but it's not going to be like, oh, your shift is 7 a.m. to 3.30 and you're going to end up staying till 6 or 7 at night. I think they care about a work-life balance Mm. and I think they care about providing an environment where when you leave at the end of the day, you're not super burnt out. It might take some juggling, but I think it's possible. And I've managed to kind of do a lot of stuff, whether or not I was really emotionally or mentally prepared for it. Mm -hmm. So I think this is just another thing that I'm just going to have to see what happens. And I've made everything else work. And I don't know anything about broadcast. So that's... (laughs) that's, (laughs) I'm like learning all about this stuff on the job. I don't know what any of these codecs are. Or, you know, I've done some stuff with Dante and Ravenna and stuff in a recording instance. But the codecs... The sort of cloud server stuff, the tie line boxes, all of these things that they need to use, I am learning it now. So um, at least I don't have to learn how to do mastering on top of it that I can do on the side. <laughs> it's not as big of a deal. <laughs> so it's a full-time gig, right? Yes, it's a full-time job, yes. 40-hour a week? Yep. Okay. Yep, 40 hours a week. Pays well, you said. Yes. You get health benefits. Yes, I do. That's the best. (laughs) And that includes medical, dental, vision? Yes. And a 401k. I have that. And I have on-the-job training for stuff, too. I don't know all of my benefits. I don't know if there's education benefits, too, but I'm I'm sure that there's something with that. It's just nice to feel like people are supportive. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying, again, that other places I've worked haven't been, but there is a benefit to working in a corporate environment in that sense, where, like, my healthcare is good. I don't have to pay much for it out of every paycheck. And I don't have to worry about if I need glasses that I can't afford to get my eyes checked. It's kind of important. Yeah. And it's interesting that you're fresh to Los Angeles. What has crossed your mind about that? Are you are you a little nervous about being in the big bad town of Los Angeles or mm, I don't know. I've I mean You're in I'm Chicago. Excited. I was in Chicago too and I was fine. And I I've lived in New York City too. So Okay. For me it's almost I think the driving is going to be the hardest thing for me to get used to because it's like everyone's in their car for an hour every morning and every afternoon. (laughs) But again, too, I'm getting a good salary and I don't mind living in a big city because with a big city comes a lot of good stuff, too. And I'm not saying Nashville didn't have some of that, but it doesn't have the, the critical mass that L.A. does. So, you know, I'm already looking up what cool random food places am I going to go to or like what museums are here or what studios are there? Yes, exactly. Well, and I know and I know a lot of people who work at different studios here too. So I, I have a support network already in place for when I'm ready and I'm settled to explore and meet people again. So from that perspective, I'm really excited about it. It's good to be back in a big city. For the audience, I, I wanted to point out, if you also want to get another perspective of working in public radio, WCA number 253 with Mary Mazurek, is a great listen. Have a listen to that, see what you think. And it may be a little bit of a foreshadowing of what is coming up for you, Margaret, in terms of what the possibilities are. Mary's always posting stuff on LinkedIn about classical recording things she's Mm -hmm. doing. Yeah, I love I love Mary. I when I was in Chicago, I met her and got to hang out with her a few times. And she's a very sweet person. And her experience, too, is really cool that she's getting to record all this classical stuff and working for a radio thing. So hopefully I can maybe do some more of that once I get settled. First, I have to learn how to use all the equipment in the studio. And once I figure that out, then it's fine. (laughs) And I've talked about this. I think in one of my rants on, on one of the episodes within recent memory, and that is, I want to make the point that, you know, some people say if you go and get a day gig and you're a recording professional, you can't possibly be pro. I've heard both sides of that. And I, I greatly disagree. I feel that if you have a day gig, especially if it's a pro audio gig, I mean, it doesn't get any more pro than NPR or Sarah Carter when she did BBC, you know, in her time. So this is a, I don't know, I feel this is a great opportunity for you because you get to expand your skill set so greatly, get paid well for it, get health insurance, and you still will find the time to do the more artistic gigs. I think anyone who says that is just wrong. I don't agree with that opinion. I think anyone who limits themselves and says there's only one right way to do something is just wrong. I don't think that's a way to look at anything because I mean- One, I'm doing a broadcast gig at NPR, and I think 
in order to be a good engineer, honestly, a good human, you have to exist in the world and you have to learn new things. And if you're doing the same thing all the time, setting up the same kick drum mic every day in the same spot on the same kit, what are you really learning? You know, you're not you're not learning anything. Everybody has to do a routine. I'm going to get into a routine, too. It's just to say that your routine is better simply because you're working with music and I'm not right. is the problem. Yeah. And so I think anyone who says it's the same thing with like analogs always better than digital and, you know, whatever. It's like it's the same <laughs> thing. It's not such a binary question right. or a binary answer. You can have both. And I think the thing that is important is that whatever you're doing is that you're doing it for you and you're not doing it for anybody else. And frankly, if I leave NPR in two years and go do something else, I'll still have two years of broadcast experience on top of all of my studio experience. So yeah, I, I've gotten some weird comments when I chose to leave. Like, how could you leave your dream job? And I was like, first of all, you don't know me, random person on the internet. And second of all, <laughs> How could you say that to someone? You don't know why they do what they do. So, yeah, I have a very strong offense with that, <laughs> that comment. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry. I'll yeah. just, you can keep your kick drum. I'll just do other stuff. Exactly. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm envious, honestly, that the healthcare, the the continual paycheck, but still working in audio and also satisfying the other part of your brain that mm -hmm. wants to be a part of the world especially with your interest in not just politics, but world events. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super cool. Yeah. So you like to run and make fancy cocktails. Those are two very different, different <laughs> things. Yes. Tell me about running. I started running in 2015. A friend of mine in Norway, I've always been a pretty active person, but I wasn't like a runner before. And a friend of mine was like, I had injured myself running and my doctor cleared me. Do you want to run with me? Because I got to basically start at the beginning. And I was like, okay. So I started running with her and that was in June. And in August, I ran a 10K with her. And then I just kept running. And it's one of these things that has always been with me for better or for worse. The pandemic made it harder just because with the stress of everything else going on, it made it harder to keep a routine it didn't work well for me because I was working a lot and stuff wasn't great. But it, it, it's a good place for me to think, to work out problems. I have run two marathons. I was going to run one next month, but it's not happening because I just don't have the bandwidth for moving. And when you're training for a marathon, if you don't know, you have to run 25 to 30 miles a week. And I don't have the ability to do that right now. <laughs> Right. At all. So I, I, I sadly sent my coach an email last week and was like, we're going to have to put this on pause until June. I'm just going to run 20 miles a week as much as I can. And then we'll pick up a marathon for the fall. I just I can't do this right now. But yeah, and I've met some really cool people with running. And, and even if you're training for a half marathon, you're running with these groups and you're running for two or three hours at a time. You learn a lot about a person walking next to them, running next to them, being next to them for two hours. So it can be kind of cathartic because you're just like, well, I guess we're all going to talk about how our week suck. Right. For us, you know, it's just going to all get it out. So, yeah, that has been really good for me. I wanted to actually get back into doing some rock climbing. I used to occasionally go to a climbing gym. I'd like to start doing that again. That was a fun experience. So moving here, I was like, I'm going to join a climbing gym. I'm going to go more frequently. I need to be active or I get really stuck in my own head. It's hard for me to be still, I guess. Yeah, and it's interesting because the audio world is a very sedentary-based mm -hmm. world. We all yes. sit on our butts all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's awful. It's awful. Oh, one of my fun things that I like to do, and I probably can't do it now at NPR, is when I've been exporting files or like making a DDP or something, I'll just do push-ups while I wait for the files <laughs> to finish. I'll be like, all right, what kind of random thing can I do for the five minutes it'll take for this to finish? But I have a feeling that if I start doing that at NPR, they're going to be like, why are you in the floor of this newsroom yeah. doing push-ups? So I probably can't do that there. Yeah. Margaret, the new person, is uh, down on the floor doing push-ups. What's going on here? <laughs> I just need some exercise. Well, I don't exactly do push-ups when I'm letting files churn and, and do all that mm -hmm. or upload. But I do try to get up, walk around and organize and clean up yes. and just get out of the chair. Mm -hmm. And it's good. I find that that is, is very useful. Obviously, we would both, I think, encourage 
our peers in audio to do some form of exercise. Yeah, any anything's helpful. And I get really down on myself if I don't achieve the goals I want. I was really hoping to run the LA Marathon next month. So it's very hard for me to admit that I'm not going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But I can still go out, run five miles here and there, do what I can. And it's still better than doing nothing. And I think even just going for a walk or instead of taking the car to the store down the street, just walk to the store down the street. It's little things that I think add up over time. But the opposite of that, you like to make fancy drinks. Yes, that was a pandemic hobby. I mean, I liked cocktails before the pandemic, but I was like, well, I can't go anywhere. So I guess I'm going to have to learn how to make all these drinks myself. (laughs) It was kind of an expensive hobby at first. And I was like, I have to calm down. My liver and my wallet need me to calm down. Yeah. But yeah, I, I enjoy it. I think it's really fun. I haven't really made any crazy cocktails since moving to LA just because I haven't had the time. But I enjoy it. It's fun. And I like entertaining. I like having people over. I like making people food and drink. So for me, it was like, well, once the pandemic's over, then I can just be the person who makes cocktails at every party. And it's great. That brings up a a point for me that I wanted to ask about. You made some major moves. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, obviously it takes a while to kind of get ramped up and socialized. Mm -hmm. So do you have things that you do specifically when you move to a new place to get acclimated and make some friends? Yeah. So the first thing I do is I always try to make myself feel settled in the place that I'm living Mm -hmm. as best I can. So I'm someone who, when they move, they unpack their boxes very quickly after they move. They don't let them sit around because I want to feel comfortable in my house so I can get out and meet people. I also, running helps because there's a lot of running groups in towns that you move to. So I've been fortunate that in every town that I've lived in, there's been like a local running club. And so I can join that. I haven't gone to the LA Roadrunners yet since moving here. I've only been here two weekends, but that's one way that I usually will meet people. Sometimes I just look on meetup for stuff. What's kind of fun and interesting. And, and fortunately, most of my coworkers in places that I've worked also will invite me along to stuff. Mm-hmm. Obviously now COVID in California is a little bit different. People don't really go out so much and there's not many people in the office. But I assume once things get a little bit more open, people will start inviting me places. I'm just assuming that people will invite me places. <laughs> and then I will meet their friends and that sort of stuff. That's usually how I make friends and stuff. And for me, it, I guess I want to feel acclimated to a place I'm living personally first, and then I can start really trying to make friends. Because I want to make sure that I'm comfortable so that I'm not like stressed out about unpacking things or so worried about my job. And right now my job is kind of my main focus, Mm -hmm. mainly because I have to learn so much and it's exhausting. (laughs) So once I feel settled in that, I'll probably feel more comfortable being social. And I'm a pretty outgoing person. I don't get weird in crowds of people I don't know or anything like that. So if, if someone just invited me to some random audio event, I'd probably go to it and it'd be fine. Did you apply for this job remotely and then knew that you had a a job offer? Yes. Okay. The interview process, this was like one of the most extensive job interviews that I've gone through. Without going into very specific details, there were four rounds Mm -hmm. of interviews and there were critical listening tests and it was pretty extensive. So when they offered me the job, I felt like they really knew what they were getting into with me. (laughs) Like you really know all about me. And I, I, the one part of the interview, I forget how it came up, but I hadn't had the opportunity yet to say this one particular sentence. So they asked me a question and this was on Zoom so they could see my face. And I was like, well, when I won my Grammy, (laughs) 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 and I had never, I had never gotten to say that. And I, I wouldn't have said it if it was just audio, but since it was visual, I could be like, just, I just had to say it. And the, the guy laughed at it. And I guess I've done so many interviews now for jobs. And also, I've never really been that nervous about job interviews because I always feel like, what's the worst that can happen? They don't hire you. Yeah, exactly. It's not like, I don't know, you'll get fired or they'll fine you. Like, you owe me $100 because your interview is terrible. <laughs> There's no worst thing that can happen. So I think because of that, I've always been pretty casual. Not casual in a bad way, but just like, not overly stressed in job interviews. And if I don't know an answer to a question, I'll say I don't know it. Or, you know, I say like, I haven't ever really thought about that before or whatever. Because I just, there's nothing to lose. Right. Just be you. Wow. Fantastic. 
Well, it was really great talking to you. I am really interested in in how this is going to go for you, which I know it's going to go great, but I'm just intrigued to talk to you six months, a year down the road mm-hmm. and find out what happened. It's kind of like a mini series, and we're at the beginning oh, of the mini series. Fantastic. I, and I want to know what happens in the story. So, Keeping Up with Maggie. That'll be my show. That, yeah, Keeping that Up with be, Maggie. That should be your podcast. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to trademark that. I like that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time. I know that uh, you got a lot going on, and thanks for making room for me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Will you take care? You too. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for, giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Margaret Luther here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Remember, if you have a guest suggestion, there's a form you can fill out over at workingclassaudio.com. There's also a general contact form if you need to reach out, but obviously you can always send me an email at matt at workingclassaudio.com. But that's all for me today. I want to thank the crew. That includes, of course, Anne-Marie Plo on the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme song, and Mr. Chuck Smith. I mean, it's Chuck, right? Anyways, connect with me on LinkedIn. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like, and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out. <laughs> <laughs>